Six hot comic books, $15 collector value. Blind Polybag, the sequel. Hello, everybody. It's Ben, Ben Avery, and I'm here to talk about some comic books yet again, because this is indeed the comic book time machine, and I'm a time traveler, you're a time traveler, we're comic book time travelers, and we're using comic books to travel back in time and maybe explore some corner of comic book history that we never experienced before, or maybe it's to explore a corner of comic book history that we've experienced over and over again over the decades. Um, but this time uh, I get to do something. I, I've i done this once before on my own, and then I did it with Daniel and Matt to some uh, bad results in, in some cases here uh, with basically Daniel. But uh, what, I'm, what I'm looking at doing here is I have found another blind bag or sealed poly bag at a Dollar General store. This one is different. The last one I did was, uh, it was, I think it was $2.99. Um, it had four, it said it had four popular comics worth over $10 plus a free bonus trading card. This time around, the one that I found, it it boasts, well, it just let me read it. It says, Super Pack, $3.99, six hot comic books, $15 collector value. Um, yeah, th that's the collector value of this, but, uh, I don't know exactly what's inside. I just know there's a book called Dow on one side, a book called, uh, well, it's, it's Phoenix, uh, war song number one on the other side in between. There are four more comics in here. I have no idea what they are. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to open the bag live on the microphone right now, right here. And then I'm going to read the comics one by one. I'm going to play a promo for a comic book related podcast that I listen to myself and that I want to promote and tell people about. And I figure this is as good a place as any to do that. And so while I play that promo, I'm going to read the comic book. And then when the promo is done, then I, I will jump back in and, and talk about the different comic books that I have opened up here. Now, uh, you say, well, how can you read a comic book that fast? Well, this is the comic book time machine. I am a comic book time traveler. And so I'm able to use the warping of time and space and also the clicking of a mouse <laughs> to, uh, to do so. And so I'm hoping you'll just have fun with me as I do this. Uh, I'm also hoping that it will be fun because I have no idea what I'm getting myself into here other than, uh, there's a Marvel comic in here and an image comic in here. Uh, while in the image comic, I've never heard of Dow, uh, Dow issue number 12. So I'm going to open right now, see what we got inside, give them a glance, and then we'll start reading one 
by one. I'm probably going to try and order this in the order of what I'm going to like the least to what I'm going to like the most. That's going to be my, my goal here. But, um, yeah, yeah, there's, there's a Marvel comic in here. Phoenix War Song. So let's open it up and see what else is in here. <clears throat> oh, and so I see that I'm wrong about the title of that image comic. It is actually Spirit of the Dow. And not the Dow Jones, but Dow spelled T-A-O, uh, which is uh, Chinese philosophy uh, thing. And so this is an image comic that comes from 1999. So that's, that's that. Um, next in here, we have a uh, Hunter Killer script book. Interesting. Very interesting. Now, Hunter Killer is a comic from Image and Top Cow. Uh, this is written by Mark Wade and Mark Silvestri. Um, just quickly, just to throw this out there, um, Mark Silvestri is actually the uncle of a student that I had, I taught high school English to. So uh, that's my little connection there. But um, script book, that's cool. I like comic book script books. And this will... Well, let's just say it's it's good that I have a comic book time machine here so that when I stop uh, to do the comic promo and, and read, it, I'm going to, this is going to take a little bit longer to read because it's all words. Very, very few pictures. Looks like there's a proposal in here, um, but Hunter Killer issue number one. Good. It's a, it's a first issue. That's, that's good also. So there's that. What do we have here then? Next we have Deepest Dimension. Terror Anthology, issue number two. George Clayton Johnson, classic Twilight Zone and Star Trek writer. Star Trek has a hyphen between Star and Trek. Present Deepest Dimension. Uh, looks like the story in here is Larry Niven. There is no escape possible for the Jigsaw Man. A utopian future gone awry. Uh, oh, it's black and white. Black and white book. Independent. It looks like this is published by Revolutionary Comics. And this is from uh, 1993. Oh, man, there's some cool stuff in here. How to Collect Cards. A $4. Oh, wow. Last time I got How to Collect Comic Books. Well, this time it's How to Collect Cards. And that's a bonus seventh book. We're still in Top Cow Image territory with The Darkness... Level one. Uh, maybe that also means issue one, maybe chapter one. The darkness. Okay, well, not a big fan of the darkness. But uh, that's a prime, probably because I haven't read too many. But uh, yeah, what is this from? This is from 2007. So we're got a nice range here. And then we have Universe which I think was an image crossover. I am not sure about that, but this is issue number two. Uh, universe, issue number two, October 2001. But also image top cow. And so there's a lot of image top cow in this. And then there's Marvel Phoenix, War Song, issue one. And it is from 2006. So, 
I am trying to decide what I'm going to read first. I have a feeling I'm going to end with that sci-fi anthology book, the black and white independent one. Um, Hunter Killer, I think, is going to be second to last, and Phoenix War Song will be third to last. Uh, from there, we have all those top cow things. Uh, and I just don't know. I, I think I'm going to start with uh, The Darkness, then move into Spirit of the Tao, and then Universe. So I'm going to play a podcast promo right now. Well, wait, actually, first, uh, let's take a look at this How to Collect Cards a book that's worth four dollars. I mean, we need to we need to assess the value here. I've got a four dollar book here, How to Collect Cards. The Darkness is three dollars, so we're up to seven there. Uh, Spirit of the Dow is two fifty, so we're at nine fifty. Universe is also two fifty, so we're at twelve bucks here. Phoenix War Song number one, two ninety nine. So where are we at? Fifteen bucks there. This uh, Hunter Killer script book. No price. It is a Wizard World Top st Top Cow Store exclusive. So, no no value. <laughs> uh, but you add in that two fifty for Deepest Dimension, that puts us at seventeen fifty. I mean, we're talking we're talking about twenty bucks here. We're talking twenty bucks. Now we're still, you know, at four nine or three ninety nine. We're still not at the uh, the quarter bin podcast levels of a deal here. However, I would argue that the percentage off from the cover prices here, we, we, we're getting close. We're getting close. Now this worthless how to collect cards thing that they say is four bucks. Well, whatever. Now they do have in here lots and lots of things. You can buy cards by the pound. Packs by the pound. Pack deals of the century. I don't, basically, it's another one similar to the one that was in the first uh, poly bag that I opened from Dollar Dollar General, from this same company. Uh, I find it interesting though that the one with a card has how to collect comic books, but this one without a card in it has how to collect cards. Um, but there is some practical advice here: how to collect bright ideas uh, when transporting it. Try bagging it. Yeah, that's that's a good idea for transporting any collectible. They have a picture there that you can see clearly. Uh, putting comic books in uh, resealable Ziploc gallon bags. Uh, buying inexpensive re resealable bags for your collectibles can one day save you big money when moving a hobby item from one location to another. Try inserting that collectible in a plastic bag. Doing this helps keep out weather and prevents mishaps. Resealable bags come in all different sizes and costs from about $0.02 cents to $0.25 cents per bag, depending on size and quantity purchased. A small price to pay. And I would say that, there, that, that again, that's some very, very practical advice about collecting and transporting your valuable collectibles. Uh, and I even follow that. I don't bag things to protect them for the value, though. I bag them to protect them just so I can have nice comics to read when I'm ready to read them. Because I've I've, I've said it before, and now I'm going to say it now again. Uh, my comic book collection is worthless, or next to worthless. I never got into speculating for comics um, when it comes down to what comics I buy. I buy comics that I want to read 
And what I want to read really doesn't have a lot of value other than value to me as a reader. And maybe at some point here, value to my kids. Um, my son, he enjoys reading comics. And, and so actually all, all three of my daughters do as well. Uh, so maybe there's the value there. But you know what? I'm not putting them through college with my comic book collection. So and I never, ever thought that I would. All right, well, I'm going to play a comic book podcast promo right now. And while I play that, I'm going to read The Darkness, level one, from Top Cow Productions Incorporated. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. <coughs> no. No, no, that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil. You get it. You get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? So I figured out why this is called the Darkness Level 1 rather than Issue one and that is when i got to the end of this there was the page you know basically like the bullpen bulletin kind of thing that has uh information about upcoming comics from top cow and it says next issue the darkness level two which i rather expected i mean you probably did as well based on the levels of the exciting new video game so that explains a lot. As I was reading this, I felt like I was reading an origin story. And here I was thinking that I would be, you know, reading, you know, another series in the darkness. Because this is this is the 10th uh, anniversary of the darkness as of, well, where were we? 19, uh, 2007. This is the 10th anniversary of the darkness as a concept. So I thought this would be just, you know, another maybe a mini series or something like that happening you know, as, as, as the story progresses, but no, this is the origin based on the way it's presented in the video game, which I, okay. Uh, that's interesting. What I liked about this though, is that because it was an origin story, I, I was getting in the beginning. I was kind of getting to know the characters and learning who they were. I, I don't, I, I don't know how well these characters line up with the characters that are actually in the comic book. I don't know how many of these characters are actually in the comic book, although I did recognize the name of the main character, and that's uh, Jackie, I can't remember his last name now, but uh, Estacado, Jackie Estacado. I have read a Darkness comic before, uh, so I, I knew the name of the main character when I saw it, not off the top of my head. Uh, the art here is interesting. It's, it's uh, art by... Um, Wow, I'm not even going to try and say that name. I'm going to butcher it no matter what I do. Uh, it seems to be 
maybe Norwegian? I don't know. Step, Stepan Sedgik? Ah, wow. I, I apologize to you right now for, for doing that. Um, it's written by Paul Jenkins and David Wool, though. And Paul Jenkins is a writer that I'm familiar with and have enjoyed in the past. Uh, the art style, though, as I was saying, it's got a very, very realistic texture to it. Uh, it doesn't look like it's a video game style. It, it looks maybe storyboardish, uh, but it, it definitely looks like there's a lot of photo reference going on here. The color of, of the book, which I think uh, <laughs> the artist who I I have to apologize to, uh, it looks like he did everything, all the artwork here. Um, and it, like I said, it, it's very, it's realistic, but it's not stiff. One of the things that I find when someone draws a comic book in a photorealistic way, it can come off very, very stiff. I didn't feel that way when I was reading this with not that there's a lot of action going on, but there is movement. And I, f I feel like we're looking at uh, rather than a photograph that's caught in time, uh, comic book art, when there's action going on, you need to s feel like there's momentum with, with the characters, maybe between the panels or on the panels, but there needs to feel like we're not seeing the end of an action or the beginning of an action, but we're actually catching the action as it happens. And that that's happening nicely here. Now, this is the origin story of, of the character, the darkness. I guess the character is not named the darkness. The darkness is the power that comes to him. He, when he turns he 21, uh, this darkness manifests in him. Now, he's a hitman for the mob. It's his uncle who uh, took him out of an orphanage. And he, he has a friend there at the orphanage, Jennifer, who he promises, I'm not... I, I'm leaving, but I will come back and, and I will visit you and uh, we'll always be friends. And so we have this nice little moments of them with a nun uh, as a flashback. But then we cut to him as a hitman. So he left the uh, Catholic orphanage to become this, this mob hitman, mob enforcer. And he has he's been betrayed by his by his uncle and so he is deciding to go to war against his uncle at first he's trying to stay alive but then he realizes he has this power called the darkness which basically it looks like there's just a bunch of i don't know demon things or uh ghoulies i mean there's there's kind of this cthulhu looking um long-necked hydra creature coming out of his back as his eyes are glowing. But then you also have these other creatures that are that kind of ghoulies, kind of gremlins, but they talk and, and they, they're sarcastic and they're, I think they're supposed to be funny. Um, I, I didn't find them all that funny necessarily. There was one goofy line here that I, I, I found interesting. And that was um, he tells them he, he's fighting some of the, the mob, the mobsters and then he says, can I leave you with these guys? I got to go find uh, their leader, Dutch, and, and I'm going to leave you with these guys. Is that okay? And they're like tearing them apart, cutting off heads. I mean, it's violent. It's gory. And, and one of them says to him, uh, ah, don't you worry, boss, piece of pie. And then the next one says, you mean cake? 
and then someone else who has like entrails being pulled from a body by his mouth, you know, in his jaws. Uh, he means liver. So that was kind of kind of funny. And I guess I'm picturing or hearing those voices sound like that in my mind. But he's learning about the powers. He's learning that they can't come out of him when there's light. He is learning that they are, you know, a manifestation. He is their master, though, to a point. And that brings us to the end of this issue. This issue, the way it is right now, mm, reading it and not knowing that what what I was re actually reading, uh, that it was you know a continuing series of, of video game based comics. And now that I know it's a video game, I, I can kind of guess where the game goes. But Jennifer, who it's his birthday, it's his twenty first birthday, and he's going to go and he's going to watch Godfather with her, uh, and he, the his uncle. Uncle Polly realizes that that's the one thing that he cares about. And so Uncle Polly threatens to kill his girlfriend, Jennifer. And so he arrives to save his girlfriend just in time, except the darkness won't do it. Won't stop. Uncle Polly. Why? Because love must die. Because there is only darkness. And so he says, well, I'm going to do it the old fashioned way. And he's going to shoot Uncle Polly. But the darkness actually stops him from shooting Uncle Polly, giving Uncle Polly the opportunity to shoot Jennifer and kill her. And so then Jackie takes the gun, puts it to his chin, and we get this final panel. It's outside, outside the, uh, the apartment building. And there's a sound effect of bam. And he's, he's shot himself. Well, knowing what I know, uh, it seems to me that we're going to end up going to hell or purgatory or something in the next level. And it's probably going to end up being something where you're trying to rescue Jennifer, uh, using the darkness to rescue her or something. I don't know. As a one shot, though, now it ends on a super down note. However, this becomes, uh, to me, if I'm looking at this as a one shot, at this grappling with the darkness that is inside of you and self-destructive tendencies where, no, this girl who's actually good for you, if you're going to give in to the darkness, you can't have her because love is light. She must die because darkness can't exist in light. Now, this is a spiritual concept and a literal concept, and it's also a comic book concept here where he goes to fight bad guys. Technically, he's still he's also a bad guy, but he goes to fight these mobsters, but the lights are on and the darkness can't come out. And so they're the, the mobsters are coming after him. And he's like, come on, guys, come on, guys. Well, the reason they're not coming on is because he has to take the lights out. And so then things are starting to feel more video game. Like, I can picture this. You go into a place, the first thing you have to do is shoot out the lights before you have the power-up of the darkness. But in this comic here, I found... I mean, it ends on that down note. It it, it, it takes this concept and goes the, the direction I wouldn't want it to go, uh, which is, you know, love must die because love is light, spiritually speaking. And we are spiritual darkness that are manifesting in you, that are existing in you. And 
so we have to take it. We have to, we, we can't let you have that. And so, boom, there it is. There it is. And, and then he, he kills himself too. Uh, so, but you know, sometimes you, you need to, you want to illustrate a positive with a negative and to say, you know, this is, you know, he, this is him holding on to the darkness. So, you know, there's, there's some actual kind of spiritually interesting ideas here. There's some actual you know, comic book, interesting ideas here. Um, but my big question I'm going to be asking with each one of these is, do I want to read the next one? No, I have no desire to read the next one in this, the darkness level series from, from, from the video game. And I have no real desire to read any of the darkness, other comics or graphic novels or, or whatever. Uh, Witchblade, the darkness spawn. Those are all concepts that I'm I've seen. I've read a few things here and there, but I'm not all that interested in. And this doesn't really change that for me. Although I, I will say that, that Paul Jenkins and David Wool did a good job with the story. I liked this particular comic and the artist was also, I mean, he did a really good job. So out of my seven books, uh, how to collect cards doesn't count this time around, uh, thumbs up for the darkness. And it's time for me to move on to spirit of the Tao. Why do you think superheroes are so important? People need heroes because they need somebody to inspire them, something to aim for, somebody to try to be like. One is the man of tomorrow, with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. The other, the caped crusader carrying out a solemn vow to spend his life warring on all criminals. For seven decades, they've been the world's finest heroes. They've teamed on radio, comics, newspapers, animation, and more. And now, they're teaming up for a podcast. To the Batmobile, let's go! Up! Up! And away! Atomic batteries. Superman and Batman celebrates more than 70 years of the world's finest team with randomly chosen stories featuring the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight. Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. Find it today at greatcrypton.com. So just a reminder that the podcast promos that I play, there, there's no sort of trade going on here. Uh, I don't do promo trades generally speaking i play promos for podcasts that i actually listen to and recommend and so if anyone plays any of uh any kind of promo or anything for for comical time machine uh it's because they've chosen to do so not because they've made a trade with me uh that said this way you know what you're getting you know you're getting something ben likes if you go and check out these podcasts and so when I say I recommend that podcast, Superman, Batman, I mean, I recommend that podcast to the Superman and Batman podcast. It's a good podcast, as is Dave's Daredevil podcast, as are the podcasts that are coming up that I, I don't know what I'm going to do.
yet. However, um, I, we have to talk about a comic here. <laughs> I do not know what I read here. I don't know what I was looking at. This is uh, written by Detron, uh, who also, I think he has something to do with the cover. Yeah. He actually drew the cover. It's, it's an alternate cover, I think, for the Darkness Level 1. But uh, written by Detron, penciled and co-plotted by Billy Tan. Uh, it's from 1999, and this book pretty much is a perfect example of why image is not my thing, especially image of the 90s. I mean, this is pretty much right there. Now, this is issue 12, so it's been going on for a year here. And <clears throat> the art is very reminiscent of the Todd McFarlane style. Um, but it's it's done, oh my goodness, there's just, there's elongated people. Um, there are women with impossibly long shins in this book. Uh, there's this Jasmine woman who has this impossibly long torso, or, or maybe she's just super, super tall and thin. Uh, she's also got the magic power of controlling some sort of weird, strange monster that eats people. And the other super power of being able to uh, hold just the essential bits of a costume to her body like a magnet. Which is kind of funny. I mean, you know, image comics, this kind of thing where you've got lots of scantily clad women. I mean, basically the women are drawn to be specifically objectified uh, as as objects of form, some form of desire. Well, it starts out with a scene where our good guy has his head just resting on a bar and around him the patrons of the bar are sexually harassing the the, the waitress here and uh, they're they're rude they're crude and all of a sudden he he never lifts his head he just speaks up and says leave her alone or I'll rip your tongue out of your head and then all of a sudden these weird wing spike things they look like insect wings but they're Definitely, they've got like razor sharp uh, blades or, or, or at least a razor sharp edge to them. And all of a sudden, they just start popping out of his back. He's cutting off hands. He's cutting into their bodies. He's, he's really, really hurting these people. But then he hears on the news that there's this person named Jasmine who is uh, running rampant on the streets with this monster creature. And she's killing people. Uh, in, in the name of Mother Earth. Uh, he's going to go take care of it, I'm thinking. But instead, she meets this guy named Messiah, who says, come with me, we're going to change your costume, and we're going to get you the things you need to accomplish your mission. Suddenly, you go to this place, it just says elsewhere, and you have this woman fighting another woman who has a mask on. And when the fight is finally done, when she finally gives up, uh, the woman with the mask on takes the mask off and it's the other woman's mother. And I have no idea what I've just read. I'm just going to put this out there right now. The, the other two scenes, the, the bar scene and the street scene, I knew kind of what was going on. 
I didn't know who the people were, what their motivations were, or where they stood with others. But then all of a sudden we just have this random character, to me, random. This is issue 12. It's not random, but to me it is. Uh, I have, I'm lost. I am completely lost. And then we cut to this other scene where there's this flying battleship, like the space battleship Yamoto. And that's called Project Dynamics. And he's yeah, someone yelling, I'm going to shut down Dow because it's evil. And, uh, and then the other guy's got glowing red eyes. He's like, you cannot shut it down. We are no longer partners. Uh, you serve me or you will die. And then we go to Messiah's temple where there's the woman who had that magical power and was keeping the rags just to cover her bits that needed to be covered. Well, now she's got an actual costume that does that. And he's being, she's being presented before a whole bunch of people as <clears throat> their leader or the, the queen who's going to unite them. And then it's to be continued. So I guess if I had read the first 11 issues that giving the benefit of the doubt here, I might actually know what was going on and I might actually also care. But yeah, Spirit of the Tao. And I know it, you may say Tao. There's, there's like, I've, I've seen 16 different uh, pronunciations of what this word could be pronounced like and be spelled like. Uh, I was told in high school it was pronounced Tao, so that's just what I go with. But um, this is the thumbs down. <laughs> Uh, this pretty much just encapsulates everything I don't like about Image, especially Image in the 90s. And when I say everything I don't like about Image, I say everything I don't like about Image in a generality uh, from the 90s where it's just very, very much about the gloss, very, very much about the looking, the, the, the dark, the dark cool that you've got. And then also the women who are wearing nothing or next to nothing. Which, granted, it's not just Image who did that, but it's just something I associate with Image along with other publishers as well, or other characters. But this just, bleh, <laughs> bleh. All right, time to move on to Universe issue number two, and we'll see, we'll see where that goes. But first, another promo. In February 2014, a new podcast dedicated to the Marvel Comics character, Adam Warlock debuted and the internet broke in half. Well, not really far from it, to be honest, but a few of you actually noticed and we thank you for that. Over the course of 2014, we covered all of Adam's silver age adventures and have started on his bronze age solo series, as well as his current appearance in two Thanos specials. But it's time for a change. So I'm sad to announce that episode 20 will be the last episode of Resurrections and Adam Warlock podcast. However, I am pleased to announce that in 2015, we will premiere the first episode, which we will call episode 21 of Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Yes, the show is continuing but now with more Thanos. Each month, we have John M. Wilson on as we cover an issue of Warlock. And the other episode of the month, we will continue to have Brian Zeno on to cover Thanos' appearances, starting with Captain Marvel 25. So join us in 2015 for Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. 
now with 20% more Thanos. So I just read Universe. This is written by Paul Jenkins with uh, pencils by Clayton Crane and inks by Jonathan Glapian, colors by Jonathan Smith, letters by uh, Dreamer Design, uh, Robin Spihar and Dennis Heisler. Editor-in-chief is David Wool. So, actually a number of familiar names here. Uh, Paul Jenkins and David Wool, though, weren't they? Weren't they the writer of that other one that I just looked at? Anyway, Universe does seem to be a crossover thing, although it was not easy to tell from this issue, but Sarah showed up. Sarah, I know, is uh, Witchblade. And they mention uh, actually Jackie again, what, I don't know his last name, but they mentioned Jackie who is the darkness, who is dead apparently in this continuity here. And basically, yeah, this is issue two of some sort of miniseries. I don't know how long it goes. Honestly, don't really care how long it goes. I read this because it was in the bag and <laughs> there's some interesting character stuff. You've got a, a character named Tom Judge and then a character named Tilly. From the beginning here, he's a he's a, a former priest and she somehow can see into the future. And he apparently has just gotten done with some sort of battle with some sort of evil uh, beings of some sort. And he then uh, went through this thing called the rapture, which is supposed to be something he can control, but really it's controlling him. And so he's finding out from her, she can see into the future, but sometimes she can't. So she doesn't know exactly what's happening, but she just knows that it's Armageddon time. And then he meets the devil and the devil says everything that you know is wrong. You learned all this other stuff in seminary and everything. But what's really true is I never even met God, let alone told him I didn't want to, you know, be second to him. And uh, basically, yeah, uh, the angels and demons are just you know, this minor thing. Uh, and this guy here, this uh, Tom Judge. He's going to decide the fate of the universe. And it looks like he's going to go to hell to do so. Because he has to go and talk to Jackie. Um, that's it. That's this issue. I imagine that I might actually like the story more if I had read issue one. I imagine that I might like the story more if I actually was able to finish the issue. But unlike uh, The Darkness which is something I wouldn't have normally been interested in reading, but actually I had a good time reading it. Uh, this one, uh, I really can't say I had much of a good time reading it. There's a lot of character development, but it's characters who are building off of something that happened in the previous issue to build up to something in the following issues. This is issue two. Now, I, I will say something about the artwork right now, and, and that is I, I did like the art in this book. The, this is one where there is exaggerated proportions. There's exaggerated. Uh, there's exaggerated body parts. I mean, there's exaggerated 
body movement. It's it's all done. There's I mean, there's wrinkles all over everyone, or uh, there's backs, you know, being held at awkward angles. There's uh, legs being, you know, also being held at awkward angles, but it all feels stylistic rather than poor, poor body proportions. This doesn't feel like it's someone who is trying to draw photorealistic and it, and it just isn't. This feels like someone who knows their, their style and and is able to do these kind of not quite caricatures of humanity but but close to it and i i like the art style in the book i like the uh the character designs and and all that uh it reminds me a little bit of uh like aeon flux from mtv it reminds me a little bit of Oh, I, I can't remember the, the name of the the artists, but uh, Vertigo artists that you know kind of take things and and just give it that edge. And so yeah, the female character when she is walking and has that kind of spine bend that shouldn't be there, uh, it's not because she's being contorted so that you can see both her bottom and her breasts. It's so it just kind of it's the the contortion adds to the the character, the the character's emotion of, of the moment. Uh, it, it, it works for me. And so that's that's the one thing I, I do like. Now, I do have to say, you know, as a, as a Christian, I'm reading this and, and, you know, they've got this rewriting of of where the devil comes from, this rewriting of you know, God's relationship with man, God's relationship with the angels and demons. And it's nothing I haven't seen before. It's, it's nothing really clever or new. Um, and, and probably the first time I read something like that, that I thought was clever and new, I wasn't actually reading something that was clever and new. It was just clever and new to me. Uh, but this is nothing, nothing new, nothing clever. Um, it's, it's just your pretty standard, uh, angels aren't that good. Demons aren't that bad, but they're enemies. And so that's, that's what we're getting here. And then you have this, this Tom judge character who's kind of thrown into the middle of things. Now it's, the name is a nice touch, you know, Thomas doubting Thomas, who is someone who, you know, from the scripture, uh, he's someone who didn't believe that Jesus resurrected and so thomas whenever you name a character thomas there is that kind of unstated uh meaning behind it and then his all uh, his, his last name is judge and he is the one who gets to determine uh the end of the world i don't know exactly what that means when they say that he's going to like choose the apocalypse or whatever but thomas someone who doesn't believe because he doesn't he's He's lost his faith and judge someone who's going to get to make that choice about the, the universe. Uh, I, I like that. That's 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 nice. But the it, in, when all is said and done, universe number two doesn't grab me. I'm not interested in reading number one so that maybe number two could be a little bit better for me. Just not interested. I'm not interested in reading number three. Um, 
And unlike Darkness, where it was something that I wouldn't have been interested in, uh, but became interested at least in the story I was reading, this story doesn't grab me at all. So I'm going to put this away. Next, I'm going to be reading um, X-Men Phoenix War Song. And I'm going to play another promo. And then we'll, we'll after the promo is done, I'll have finished the comic and, and I'll be back. In 1939, Timely Comics published its first issues. It later changed its name, first to Atlas Comics and then to Marvel Comics. In 2014, Marvel polled its fans asking for the 75 greatest Marvel stories from those 75 years and published that list in print form. The unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels countdown will walk through all 75 of these stories every Wednesday from December 31, 2014 to June 1, 2016. Join me, Blaine Dowler, and a cadre of other hosts, including established podcasting greats and emerging talents, as we run through the list, discuss each story in the context of its original release, and determine just what makes it so great. The unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown can be found at Bureau42.com, on iTunes, and on Stitcher. Phoenix War Song number one. It's a Marvel comic, but it's an exclusive top, top Cow variant edition. Um, whoops, I guess the whole thing we're looking at here is uh, Top Cow. Well, almost. Uh, it's written by Greg Pack with art by Top Cow Productions, which means we have Tyler Kirkham on pencils, Sal Regula on inks, John Starr on colors, and Troy Petery on letters. And Mark Silvestri did the cover. Now, I've read the book. And honestly, uh, it's not bad, serviceable. It's everything I hate about X-Men comics. Don't get me wrong. I love X-Men. I even love some X-Men comics. But this issue in particular uh, just kind of nails down why I don't really ever try reading X-Men comics. Uh, because it's, it's characters doing things that I don't know why they're doing it. Uh, it's characters that I don't know well doing things that I don't know why. Um, I mean, this is the period of time when um, Scott and Emma Frost are together. And I never understood that. I never liked it. I read a few comics with that because I don't know the backstory. I just I can't get into it. Um, now, it's Phoenix War Song. Uh, this, the cover shows Emma Frost, I think, being the Phoenix, and then she dreams about being the Phoenix in here. But then it has these characters called the Cuckoos, who I've, I've read in other, other books. They're, they're psychically linked. Um, I believe it's the uh, Astonishing X-Men that, that had these, these characters in there as well. Uh, they, they're also in that. They're called the Stepford sisters or something like that but they're they have a psychic link and they seem to be connected to the phoenix but i i don't know their backstory and that's the thing is this is not written in such a way that you know every comic might be someone's first comic this is definitely not in that that realm this is if you are in with the x-men you will be in with this i would assume um and so yeah i'm, I'm sure it's perfectly fine i'm sure that people who were following x-men at the time were enjoying it i'm reading it and i'm just like why uh okay so scott and emma are in a relationship but emma doesn't know doesn't think scott trusts her because she used to be evil or something i don't know there's no explanation there's not much explanation for anything um 
this is and then you got lots of well Emma Frost is in it so women in skimpy clothes but it's just a not not a fun read for me and maybe if I were to actually read the whole Phoenix War Song series I'd get more out of it I'm not going to and this issue doesn't really draw me in enough to want to um so I mean here we are I've I've had what thumb up thumb down thumb down yeah well this bag hasn't been really exciting but that's because there's no spawn batman in it i'm excited about the next thing i'm gonna read though and i'm gonna go ahead and get to that quickly here because i'm excited about it so i'm going to read the hunter killer script book number one hi my name is russell bragg and i host the dc comics Presents show a podcast where I talk about the comic book entitled DC Comics Presents, a comic where any member of the DC Comics universe will team up with one of the world's greatest superheroes, a superhero that needs no introduction, a superhero who, no matter in what era you hear the music for, you will know who the music is dedicated to. When you find yourself in danger, when you're threatened by a stranger, when it looks like you will take a licking... There is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for Super Chicken. Oops, wrong hero. There, that's better. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah, Superman, DC Comics Presents. In 1978, for Superman's 40th anniversary, DC Comics decided to give him his own team-up book, similar and vain to Brave and the Bold. In this book, Superman can team up with any character in the DC Universe, be it friend or foe, hero or villain. And this is a show that talks about each and every issue. There are 97 issues plus the four annuals. I'll be dedicating an episode to each one individually in date order. If you'd like to find out more about this podcast, go to the show's main website at dcctshow.com. That's dccpshow. If you'd like to subscribe to the show, the DC Comics Presents show can be found on iTunes or Stitcher. Okay, so you're going to hear me now rave about this book, this Hunter Killer script book, which is labeled on the cover Comics 101 uh, for a reason. It is a comic book about making comic books. I mean, it is, um, I mean, it's it's got everything in it uh, that they did as they were developing the Hunter Killer series. So it has the... Uh, an introduction and, and kind of walking you through what's going to be in the book. It has the pitch that was done by um, Mark Silvestri, I believe. Uh, yeah, and then it has the the proposal, the series proposal, that, which is part of the uh, after the development, after they they work together on you know, what's this going to be to get the green light. Then it has the proposal that uh, Mark Wade wrote. And it's in depth. It's nice. And then it has the plot. And they did Hunter Killer plot first, which I really enjoy uh, reading this because uh, I've done a lot of plot first things where I would actually come up with an outline of the story and then hand it off to my collaborator, Tim Barron, who we work on a number of different things together. And, and then he would draw it and then it would come back to me and I would put the words in. And that's what they did here with... Uh, Mark Silvestri and, and Mark Wade. And it's, this is really, really neat. And reading it, I mean, I've been writing comics professionally for mm, 10, 10 years, something like that. And there was one thing in here that just hit me 
like right in the noggin. Uh, something new to think about that I hadn't thought about, and that this is going to be uh, this is gonna be something that's in the in my mind as I write uh, going forward. Just one of those nuggets in here that uh, it says. Well, I'm just gonna go ahead and read it. He says he I'm a huge huge believer in page one having an image that will grab the reader. And that by now, any comic book that opens up with four pages of guys in business suits standing in a generic boardroom is just death. D-E-A-T-H. Every issue, we have 22 pages, give or take, to tell you a story that you paid good money for. So as a writer, I get very nervous opening with, or once I've opened, venturing more than about two pages from, something you can see every day for free without my help. And he actually underlined that. The, The emphasis is his. And I just that kind of becomes almost a mission statement for comics is, you know, what can I show that's different in a comic that you're not going to see every day? And, and what's cool, you know, some, some of the stuff that I work on just ends up being that anyway, because it's historical fiction and it's stuff you're not going to see every day, except what if it's something that's familiar to people that they have seen often, you know, or they have heard often. And so that becomes then my, my uh, my goal, I guess, now is is to have that kind of in mind as I push through and, and you know go into my second decade of of writing, and it's not just for comics either. Honestly, I think it's for really almost any kind of fiction. You know, why would you force people to sit through things that they see already in in everyday life? You know, so maybe a really great description, no matter how great it might be, of mowing the lawn isn't in order. Uh, unless something is going to come out of that that's completely different. Uh, anyway, that's one of those things where when I read comics or when I'm reading something like this, I have a number of script books, and all of them have been really interesting to me. Um, I remember the first one that I ever got was in the it was in the back of Dream Country, a Sandman collection, uh, the, my first Sandman collection actually by Neil Gaiman, and in the back of that it had a script for one of the first uh, Shakespeare story that he did. I believe that's what it was. But reading that was kind of my first exposure to what a comic script looked like. Now, I didn't, I really didn't use that as my template because he did all caps for, I think it was all caps for all the descriptions and then all of the dialogue was not capitalized. And I was like, well, that's neat. And I'm sure he had a reason for that, but I, I didn't follow that. But it wasn't about the whenever you're doing comic book scripting, you don't have to follow a particular format. The script is a letter to the artist. The only person who sees the script in its entirety is your editor and your artist and maybe some of the money people who need to see it ahead of time to know if they're actually going to publish this thing or not. Uh, This is not something that the general public gets to see very often. And so it's written for the artist and written in in some of my my scripts. I actually put notes directly to the artist. And that's what Mark Wade does here. He's working hand in hand with Mark Silvestri. And there's some, you know, little little tidbits here and there. That's okay. Hey, in this this part, do this. Um, It's great. It's great. I highly recommend this script book for aspiring uh, comic book writers. Really, it's a great, great book it's, it's better I, I find the script books to be better 
than the how-to books, honestly. There are a couple how-to books that I would I would highly, highly recommend. Like um, Understanding Comics, that's one. Anything by Will Eisner that's about the craft of comic book creating, uh, I would highly recommend it. Um, but the script books, you need to get your hands on because then you're seeing how does someone translate a visual medium into script form. And you get to see the example and not just the theory. And so there's there's a number of script books that I've gotten over time. One of them is Marvel's. Um, I believe it's by Kurt Busiek. And then there's... It was not Marvel's. It was the sequel series to Marvel's, the Eye of the Camera one. And uh, Civil War, I have not read the actual comic book version of Civil War. I read Civil War as a comic script because that's uh, a book that I got. I think it was like in a, a cheapy bin somewhere. But anyway, I enjoy reading that stuff. And this is a great, great example. All right, so next up is uh, George Clayton Johnson's Deepest Dimension Terror Anthology. The Fantastic Ass is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics in 1961 onwards. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover every issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo, and more. And in 2015, we begin our journey through the decade that taste forgot, the 1970s. Join us as we take a look at... The departure of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The Kree Skrull War. The arrival of Marvel Team Up. Bill Murray as the Human Torch. Creators including Roy Thomas, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler and John Byrne. And of course, Marvel 2-in-1. All this and more at ffcast.libsyn.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. The Fantastic Cast. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? Okay, in the time that it took to play that promo, I found some pretty fascinating things out. Um, Deepest Dimension is a black and white indie comic. It definitely feels like a black and white indie comic. It's from 1993, um, published by Revolutionary Comics, which I didn't realize. I have some Revolutionary Comics in my collection. They did a whole bunch of biography comics. Um, and I actually have the two, two-part uh, U2 comics that they did. Uh, they did biographies of Stan Lee, Gene Roddenberry, Spike Lee, Babe Ruth, Pete Rose, Anthrax, uh, ACDC. And so then this, this is kind of an anomaly in there with... Uh, it's, it's a sci-fi anthology. I mean, they are playing up the... Twilight Zone connection. George Clayton Johnson, this is one of those fascinating things that I found out. Uh, he wrote for the Twilight Zone, which we already knew uh, from the beginning here when I opened it up. It says right on there, classic Twilight Zone and Star Trek writer. But um, he wrote uh, the episodes of the Twilight Zone that he wrote the stories for where the four of us are dying. Uh, Penny for Your Thoughts, A Game of Pool, Nothing in the Dark, Kick the Can, which was also made into one of the segments of the Twilight Zone movie. And as I was looking into this and realizing, oh, wow, this guy's this guy did some really interesting things. He also did a Star Trek episode, The Man Trap, 
which is uh, the first episode that they ever played. Uh, I really I read about this Twilight Zone story that Gene Rodden or not Gene Roddenberry, Rod Serling bought from him for the show, and that the the advertisers decided, you know what, it's too violent, too gory. Uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna go with that. And so then Rod Serling had to go back to George Clayton Johnson and sold him the rights back. And so now I'm thinking, oh, that's really interesting that, that this is something that happened here. And then I, then I read that it was printed in a Deepest Dimension comic. And so that episode, that story that he sold to Twilight Zone, Sea Change, is in this comic. Now, there's two stories in this comic. One story is called The Jigsaw Man, which is based on the short story by Larry Niven, a popular and prolific sci-fi writer. And it's not great. I'll just I'll just throw it out there uh, as a short story. It's you know they 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 bought the short story to use or they they got the permission to use the short story, which is good. I mean, short comic stories are not easy to write, especially if you want a punchy ending like they were going for here. Uh, the pacing here is not great, but I don't know what the pacing is in the original story. But it's basically about a guy who is in prison, finding out that he's going to have his parts harvested for other people and this is what they do with uh the the worst of the worst uh, in, uh criminals and so while he's there he actually gets a, a chance to escape because a fellow prisoner in the next door cell, cell has a bomb implanted in his uh leg bone and he blows it up and then our main character is able to escape through a hole in the prison and he ends up in a hospital where he finds those other body parts and he starts just destroying the lab where all those body parts are. And then he's captured again because he's like, if I'm going to go down, I'm, go I'm going down with, with a fight. You know, I'm going to be going down having gone to prison for something worth going to prison for. Uh, then he goes back to court and he's told that, that if you're not found guilty for your current charges, then they're going to uh, charge you with <laughs> destruction of the property. And then you find out that he's on trial for his life because he drove through six red traffic lights and once exceeded the speed limit by as much as 15 miles per hour, which demands the death penalty. Dun, dun, dun. And it just, I mean, the whole thing where he's going through, I'm going to commit a crime that's worth dying for or whatever and then you get to the end and that's your punchline and i'm just thinking that's not a great punchline i mean that would have been a great punchline if we didn't have him have the opportunity you know to do that other crime but and plus driving through red traffic lights that's attempted murder i mean it's involuntary attempted murder but you you're putting yourself on the line you're going through a red light and you're putting other people at risk. And I'm not saying that deserves a death penalty necessarily. I'm saying that um, that's actually a worse crime than what they're presenting it as in here. But the real gem is Sea Change. Now, both of these stories, the artwork, uh, I'll just say it's not great. Okay? It's not great. It's, it's serviceable. And it gets by. Uh, it, it feels amateurish. Um, 1993, 
this might have been, you know, a, an amateur production. Uh, you know, it's definitely got that indie feel to it. Although the company that they're working for, Revolutionary, it's not small by any means. I mean, they put, put out a lot of things, but here, for me, it's the story. Now, the other interesting thing about George Clayton Johnson is he one of the co-writers of the novel that Logan's Run, the movie, and then the Marvel comic were based on. And I thought that name sounded familiar. I thought it sounded familiar. And he's written quite a bit of uh, things. He is actually portrayed as the narrator, uh, kind of the crypt keeper of the deepest dimension. Uh, he's the Rod Serling here. He gets one panel with one balloon of dialogue in each of these two stories. And he so here you have with with sea change. It's a very it's a pretty simple story. It's it's a little weird and there's some things in it that just kind of come out of nowhere. Again, you're luck this is a really really short story. We're talking just what 16 pages, not even that. Uh, 15 pages of story here. And it's about two men who are criminals. They're being chased by police and the one man he he actually shows this weird power when he gets bit by his parrot uh, and the cut heals right away. Well, then he and the, his partner in crime get in a fight and he gets his hand cut off. Now, his partner in crime used to be a doctor, but now he's a drunk and needs money and his hand gets cut off and his partner just can't help himself. He, he bandages up the hand only to find out that the hand has now grown back. And he's like, wow, this is crazy. You know, I could take your blood. We could sell this. You could write your own ticket. We could we could make this is the medical discovery of the century. But then they realize that the dead hand is out there. And if this guy is like a worm, uh, he's going to grow back from his hand. And so a crazy monstrous version of the guy who got his hand cut off he's he's out there and he comes and they're trying to figure out what is this what does this mean what are you are you an alien invasion force or what well it turns out that that's that's the twist is that this criminal he's been running guns and and stealing money and stuff to create chaos and then be able to attack the earth and take over. Now, it doesn't say if he's an alien or not specifically, but he's that's definitely the plan. And so his hand grows into a person uh, and attacks, kills these two guys. And then he starts cutting off his fingers to uh, create <laughs> the the invasion force, basically. And so the concept is cool. It's a cool concept, a cool high concept. The execution uh, especially with the artwork here in this comic is not so much, but just the fact that I basically got to read a lost Twilight Zone episode. I mean, that was really exciting and really fun. I don't know how much of this story was what's going to happen in the Twilight Zone episode that he sold, but uh, you know, it, it's all here, all the elements. I, I read the the high concept was about a man whose hand gets cut off and grows back realizes that in the fog his hand is out there growing back into a, a person and and that's what you get here it is just for me what a delight uh you know if we're talking about how much the value of this this 15 dollar value that the bag promises where it says um 
$3.99, collector value, six hot comic books. Uh, the value for me with this story and with Hunter Killer is well, well, well worth the $3.99. Now, of these comics that were in this bag, only Hunter Killer script book is going to actually probably get opened and read again uh but just the fact that that fed my my writer's soul you know and then this deepest dimension fed my my geeky soul where i got to read this lost twilight zone episode and it's just it's just fun uh this bag itself was fun even if i had to slog through some top cow slash image books and then that marvel book that i really didn't care for um but between Deepest Dimension, Hunter Killer, and then even The Darkness, which isn't a series I am into, have ever been into, and ever want to be into, uh, just that one issue, that was a, a fun read. So half and half, but the half that was good was, it just exceeded any expectations I could have had in picking this up uh, for three ninety nine. And so with that, that wraps up this episode of the Comic Book Time Machine. And I just want to say thank you for listening. You can visit us on the internet at comicbooktimemachine.com or Comic Time on Twitter. And you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash comicbooktimemachine. I personally can be found at benavery.com. And I'm also on Twitter as Whispering Loon. And then I also have Ben Avery Storyteller on Facebook where you can follow news about my personal projects that are coming out or that I'm working on or that I'm finishing up. So again, I want to thank you for listening and until next time, Godspeed.